Happy New Year and welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 27, Thursday, January 3rd, 2019, the first episode of a brand new year. It's actually been four months to the day since I started this podcast on Labor Day, September 3rd, 2018. I started recording episode one, the Doggy Juice Sports Betting Ten Commandments, and here we are, four months later, 26 episodes later, and honestly, I did not see um, this coming, the type of support for the podcast that I saw coming. It definitely helps that we're winning, but um, I really appreciate everyone who has listened and given feedback and encouragement over the past four months. I'm very excited for um, where this thing's going to go in 2019, and it kind of mirrors the exciting times we're experiencing for sports betting right now. 2018 was a landmark year for sports betting as the Supreme Court overturned PASPA on May 14th of last year, and things are really going to get moving in 2019. We already saw some states legalize sports betting last year, and even more are going to join the fray this year. So very exciting times for sports betting, very exciting times for the Doggy Juice podcast. Um, we're also coming off an outlier season. I started posting Doggy Juice picks on Twitter in January of last year, January 5th was my first official best bet with a, an NBA total involving the Chicago Bulls that won. And those last two winners on New Year's Eve put those picks at over 60%. Um, the Doggy Juice Twitter picks went 209, 139, and 8. That's 209 wins, 139 losses, and 8 pushes. That's over 60.06%. We hit over 60%. That's plus 57.44 units on those Twitter plays after adjusting for VIG, which is insane. So if you put $100 on every Doggy Juice release last year on Twitter, you won over 5.7K. If you put $1,000 on every Doggy Juice release last year, you're up over 55.7K by the stroke of midnight on December 31st of last year. The truth is, it was an even better season than the Doggy Juice Best Bets unit wins indicate. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this past football season will, will never be replicated. Um, in terms of the Chicago Super Contest, second place. We got second place in the Chicago Super Contest, finishing 57-28, and 28, which is over 67%. And I heard that every other year up until now, that was enough wins, 57 wins, to get first place in that particular contest. So it's a little disappointing having... Um, the best record of all time, besides the guy who beat me out. I lost by one game. Um, the winner, congrats to him. He went 58-27. and 27. Doggy Juice went 57-28, and 28, over 67%. And for reference, the winner of the Westgate Super Contest in Vegas this year went 59-25-1. and 25 and, won, and they won over $1.4 million. If the Doggy Juice picks were in that Super Contest, I would have finished top four in that this year. That's a nice payday. It's definitely well into the six figures, and the Doggy Juice picks would have won the Super Contest gold with ease because the winner of that finished 55-27-3, and and uh, that winner-take-all on that one took home over $640,000. Fuck me, right? But it was a fun year, and it was really fun because I was posting the Super Contest, the Chicago Super Contest lines on Twitter and Instagram all year, and we had, um, we had people... Enter the Doggy Juice Challenge, which I'll get to momentarily. But it was fun because I gave away the reasoning for my picks and gave away my picks each week. And it was kind of fun taking you listeners along for that ride. Um, finishing second place in a pool of almost 200 people was very nice. And 57-28 and over 
that many picks, over 80 picks, is pretty ridiculous. So, fantastic year, um, just a dream season in every which way, and I'm, I just, it's really hard to maintain this. If you're expecting me to hit 60% on my Twitter plays this year, um, I would temper those expectations. The goal is just to hit 55%, and when you're looking at a bell curve and you you know, you think 60% in that regard, it's it's remarkable, um, hitting over 60%. So 55% is the goal. 52.38% is what you need to break even, laying a standard minus 110 on every bet. So anything over 55%, and you're making great money. And uh, 60%, yeah, ridiculous. So um, a little personal note, I will be using a lot of my winnings from 2018 and decided to go back to school and... Get involved in that program. I'm going to get my certificate in sports wagering and integrity from the University of New Hampshire Law School. I'll be part of the inaugural class in that program, which is the first of its kind in America. And those classes start later this month. So I'm very excited to get that certificate and get involved in the game um, from that aspect. Because uh, by day, I am, I'm an attorney by day, but sports handicapper by night, I guess you could say. But either way, this podcast and sports betting is my passion project, but... I'm hoping to maybe even merge the two now moving forward. Who knows? But very exciting times. Um, And again, yeah, these are incredible times for sports betting here in America. That's my main reason for wanting to get that certificate. Uh, We're going to see a lot of movement in 2019, and I'm very excited to touch on the legal developments in this podcast even more as the weeks and months go by in 2019. Quick little shout-out, the Doggy Juice Challenge. We had two winners on the final week, and I opened it up. I said if you added a sixth pick and designated that one and went 6-0 and on these last two weeks, um, no one did it week 16, but if you went 6-0, and you got $50 instead of the $25 Venmo prize, and Philly Fran got it done. He went 5-0 and in his first five, and then the Colts came in, um, allowing him to go 6-0. and um, Actually, he had the Bears, I believe, as his final pick um, as a sixth pick. But anyway, he went 6-0, and so he took home a $50 Venmo prize this week. That's back-to-back weeks, Philly Fran, or is that two out of three? I forget. But either way, he's won it. he won it twice, so congrats to him. And then Zizzle Bizzle took home his second Doggy Juice Challenge crown as well. We did double payouts this week. Um, There's no tiebreaker, so Zizzle Bizzle got it done. He went 5-0 and for the second time this year, so he wins a $25 Venmo prize. So to recap, congratulations to Philly Fran for winning it twice, including the 6-0 week. And then we had Zizzle Bizzle win it twice as well, two 5-0 weeks. And then Magic Man got a 5-0 week earlier in the year as well. So he took, took home a $25 Venmo prize as well. So congrats to those guys. And thank you to everybody who participated in that throughout the season. We had some other guys come very close a few times, but um, it was a fun way to get guys involved. And I'm going to definitely be doing some sort of contests moving forward with the podcast and i'll definitely be doing the same thing again next year um for the nfl for each week so that was a lot of fun congrats to those guys and congrats to and thank you to everybody for participating all right well let's start out with some quick hitters i mentioned the very first doggy juice podcast episode at the beginning of this podcast episode but my advice to betters heading into the new year who are serious about building their bankroll, listen back to that first episode, the Doggy Juice Ten Commandments, um, the very first podcast. Bankroll management is number one, and I cannot stress that enough. If you're going to change one thing this year, 
about the way you're betting, I would say watch your bank, bankroll management and get multiple outs. Those should be 1 and 1A, one and they're kind of intertwined because if you have multiple outs, it can help with your selections as well. But your bankroll management, not chasing, not putting too much on any particular game, is absolutely the key. You see sports handicappers out there that are fantastic. They're so good, and you know they're, they could be the best in the world. But if they have poor bankroll management, they still find a way to lose. If you're consistent with it over time, but then just make one mistake, that can ruin weeks and months of bankroll building and set you down that terrible um, tilting phase that so many people will fall victim to. So if you're betting a certain amount on a game, stick to your unit size and watch that bankroll. You are only as good as your bankroll management. You could be red hot and ruin everything just with poor bankroll management. I've seen a lot of guys do it. It's a lot easier said than done. That's why I'm stressing it right now. Um, But that is the single most important thing you should focus on heading into the new year. Set your unit size and be true to it. But watch that bankroll. That's literally everything in sports betting because it all comes down to your bankroll. So bankroll management number one heading into the new year. If you listen back to my podcast last month um, on a few episodes, I stressed the higher variability of the college football bowl games due to motivation, uh, players sitting out, coaching changes, etc. Boy, did it come into play big time over bowl season. Uh, we cashed big time on some big money line, money line underdogs this bowl season, including Oklahoma State and Texas just recently. Um, I advise playing money lines on the dogs. Uh, that you liked in the podcast and not doing any money lines on favorites due to the higher variability, um, as aforementioned higher variability. And unfortunately, one better at the MGM was not listening to the Doggy Juice pod last month, and he had a series of money line parlays that involved Georgia. And as we know, Georgia lost as 13-point favorites outright the other night. They got spanked by Texas. Uh, we had Texas released as the first Doggy Juice best bet of the new year, but that one was mentioned on the podcast last month on a few podcasts last month but this guy had a money line three money line parlays with georgia and it was not small money he had one six hundred and thirty thousand dollar two-teamer on the patriots in georgia obviously the patriots came through georgia did not to win he had that six hundred and thirty thousand dollar two-teamer to win two hundred thousand lost he had one two hundred and fifty thousand dollar five-teamer on alabama the patriots seahawks chiefs and georgia and that one was to win $111,000, $125,000 to win $111,000. Loser. And finally, he had a $50,000 three-teamer on the Patriots, Alabama, and Georgia to win $27,000. Another loser. All of those lost. So that's why we don't do parlays, people, and especially why we don't lay heavy money lines on favorites during bowl season because of that aforementioned variability due to motivation, player, player missing games, coaching changes, etc. So... That stuff came through in spades over the bowl season. We saw a lot of underdogs win outright, and when the favorites were covering, they were usually covering with ease. Um, So moving forward, file that in the memory bank for next year. Avoid playing the favorites on the money line, and definitely look to sprinkle a lot of um, money line underdog money on on your underdogs because a lot of them do win outright during bowl season. There's just so much more variability. Is it time to move the Pac-12 out as a Power 5 conference and into the group of five? I don't know. Over the past three years, the Pac-12 has gone 7-15, or sorry, 7-15 straight up, and 3-19 and against the spread in bowl games, with only one win by more than three points. That's gross. 
We had breaking news earlier today as the NFL announced that Caesars Entertainment Corporation is going to be the first ever casino sponsor of the NFL. This has been anticipated for weeks as the initial deal was reported before Christmas and as the other three main U.S. sports leagues inked a deal with MGM Resorts International, saw the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball do that last year. Uh, But the NFL was careful in its press release to note that the deal does not encompass sports betting, and it only applies to casino gaming. The deals with the other leagues in MGM included specific sports betting language, but the NFL is trying to make this a marketing deal, apparently, and we all know the NFL is full of shit. When they see the amount of money involved in sports betting, they know that's the way of the future. Um, And even so, this is still a very encouraging development because we can now see how far the NFL has come on its gaming stance even over the past year. I mean... The league used to prohibit players from attending fantasy football conferences anywhere near Vegas, and now we have an NFL team moving to Vegas. The NFL draft is going to is scheduled to be in Vegas next year, so I wonder how long it is before a Super Bowl is hosted in Las Vegas. This one's from Warren Sharp, and if you aren't following him on Twitter by now, then you're a damn fool. But of the NFL playoff teams this year, seven of the 12 have quarterbacks on rookie deals. There's a clear blueprint to win in the NFL right now that just isn't talked about enough, in my opinion. The teams without a rookie deal, or sorry, the teams without a quarterback on a rookie deal that are in the playoffs, they have Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Russell Wilson, and Andrew Luck. So all Hall of Fame locks or Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks. And this is kind of why I think that the coaching vacancy in Green Bay isn't as good as some people think. You hear a lot of the talking heads on national radio saying that the Green Bay job's the best job available, but I actually disagree. I think it's Cleveland. Um, you have Aaron Rodgers making all that money, and there's not a good team around him at all, and there's not as much money to, money to spend on that team. And plus, word on the street is that Aaron Rodgers is uh, kind of a pain in the ass in the locker room, so there's that as well. So the narrative out there is that Green Bay is the best opening, but especially when you look at some of the other teams in the division and some of the other teams that are looking for coaching vacants in, in the Bear, in the Packers division, I mean, and other teams looking for new coaches, especially the Browns. I, would, I do not think the Packers are the best opening, even though they have probably the best quarterback in our generation um, besides Tom Brady and obviously Peyton Manning. That's all arguable, but um, they probably have the best quarterback, at least of the past five years. Again, debatable on their team, but still. That's uh, that's not a job I would want to take if I had that versus the Browns. So I've alluded to this on previous podcasts, but this is the perfect time to touch on it again. If you're looking at a Super Bowl team um, or a team to win the Super Bowl on the future, in the future market right now, I don't think that's the best way to maximize your payout. So if you have a team in mind and you want to bet them to win the whole thing, that's totally fine, and you can do it. But I'm telling you, you're going to make a lot more money doing a money line rollover on that team than you will by betting their their number in the future market. So by money line rollover, I mean you bet them on the money line and then the money that you bet um, and you won if they win the game, you roll over the money you bet initially and the money you won on the next game and then keep doing it until you decide to stop or until they lose. And at that point, you know, the benefit of doing that is if the bad line comes out, you can always get off of it. And if they actually make it to the Super Bowl, you don't have to worry about needing them to win that game to win the money. You could still roll it over in the Super Bowl or you can get more creative with it, but you're going to make so much more money doing that in most cases, almost all cases. So if you need help figuring out 
what the projected lines and money lines are going to be for potential matchups, then don't hesitate to reach out to me and ask my opinion. I can at least give you that the range that it'll be in. Um, of course, notwithstanding uh, some big player injuries or some big crazy developments, usually, obviously, if the team's winning, their power rating's going to go up, their Vegas rating. But still, it's e- pretty easy to project the lines right now for potential matchups. So if you have any questions um, or trying to figure out how to do that, then do not hesitate to ask my opinion. I love doing that stuff, kind of in a nerdy way. But um, yeah, so definitely do, do that money line rollover. So, for example, if you're looking to, if you think the Chargers are good value to win the whole Super Bowl now, instead of betting their their future line to win the Super Bowl, I would just bet them each game, especially them because they're on the road each game, and it's they're going to be getting that extra value because home teams are getting three points of home field advantage. But um, yeah, so. If you're looking to bet the Chargers, bet them on the money line this week at that plus price. I'm seeing some plus 135 right now. And just take that money. So if you bet $100, you win the 135, you got 235 to roll over next week. And if they're underdogs next week, which is likely, then um, at you know if they win this week and they're underdogs next week, which is likely, then you'll be able to roll over that 235 and another plus price. And then before you know it, you're, you know you got about six, seven, whatever, 100 bucks to work with, and then that keeps doubling. So... Moneyline rollover is definitely the way to go. The first annual Doggy Juice Teams of the Year. In terms of teams that I made a lot of money on uh, betting on them against the spread in college football and the NFL, I selected a few that I just had a good read on all year and that made me the most money. Iowa State in college football. Matt Campbell, one of the best young coaches in the game. They beat West Virginia outright as home dogs. They won their bowl game outright as dogs against Washington State. They also had the most fans of any bowl game, uh, or the most fans that, any, that were at a bowl game, by the way. Over 60,000 people were in attendance at the Alamo Bowl, and most of those people were Iowa State fans, so kudos to them. And They won their team total, uh, regular season team total, over six and a half wins as well. The Texas Longhorns, Tom Herman as a dog, continues. Sam Ellinger is one of those quarterbacks that's probably really annoying to bet against. Fortunately for me, I don't bet against him too much, but um, he just like he doesn't have a very accurate arm. They're, he just is very Tebow esque, but he just he's such a tryhard and always seems to make the big play. He, I think he like has that X factor that's really hard to um, quantify. But they are a team that ended up obviously closing the season very strong. Um, and they also won outright over Oklahoma in the Red River um, shootout outright. So, um, in the first time, before, the first game, not the Big 12 championship game, but um, team total over eight wins. That cashed with these. Got ahead of that one because that closed around eight and a half, nine. But um, I really like the direction that team's going. And Ellinger's speech at the end of their bowl game win, he said Texas is back. So, that'll be an interesting team uh, for the 2019 season. Syracuse. They finished 9-3-1 against the spread, depending on when you bet the numbers, but they closed the year with a very nice and easy bowl game win over West Virginia. We were on that one, but they were a good team to bet on. Uh, Syracuse football doing very well this year, turning that program around. It's very good to see where that program's gone the past couple years. Obviously, they had that big game over Clemson, uh, I believe that was last year too, so that kind of put them on the map, so kudos to them. Uh, In the NFL, how can I... (laughs) To any other team first besides the Chicago Bears, my hometown team. Um, they had notable against the spread wins over the Rams, the Packers, the Seahawks. Only 
playing minus three at home to Tampa Bay earlier in the year was probably, looking back at it, one of the best value plays of the year, which we did give out in the podcast. But I feel like I also knew when to fade them this year, like uh, when they played uh, at Arizona, at Miami, at New York. Those are very predictable fade spots. So Matt Nagy, you got to love what that guy's done with this team in a one-year turnaround, and obviously it's spurred by the acquisition of one player, um, Mac. So obviously he's... Uh, He's a game changer, but the the Bears season win total was over six and a half wins, and they skied over that one, finishing with 12 wins. Definitely the worst to first best team, uh, best turnaround team this year, and against the spread, they obviously did quite well this season. The Baltimore Ravens, they won that division, the AFC North prop that I gave out at the start of the year, got that at plus 400. Their team total wins also cashed as well, and they're also a great under team. They're a really good team to peg, and I feel like Lamar Jackson actually did save Harbaugh's job. People aren't really talking about that, but Joe Flacco, and it's it's funny like hearing some Baltimore Ravens fans, like how they just, you'd like tear Flacco from their cold, dead hands, but um, obviously Lamar Jackson was forced into action, then did just enough, and that team has an identity um, under him now, and he's developing, and if they let him pass a little bit more, I think... Um, if they open up the field more, that could be a dangerous team for sure because that defense is, is among the top in, in the entire NFL. So Ravens, we're on that at the start of the year. Um, definitely looking at that defense in the offensive line. Got got healthy again this year, so that was that was the angle behind that. That ended up coming out very strongly this year as well. Also cashed on their uh, team regular season, season win total as well. And finally, the Indianapolis Colts. Mentioned them right away um, at the start of the season. I was on their season win total six. I think they closed six and a half, but I got that at six. Um, and basically those who bought in on Andrew Luck this year were rewarded financially and really like the way that team has moved in terms of their, their offensive lines just come such a long way. Defensively, they're very good. They're one of the only teams in the playoffs that are top 10 in both offense and defense. So um, that's something to look at. But those are those teams, if you were on them early and if, I mean, if you play them every week, the season you came out um, very much on top, but if you were able to identify those teams earlier in the year, then um, you had a lot of success this year. Honorable mention for Doggy Juice teams of the year: Washington State, Utah State, Florida International, Fresno State in college football, and the LA Chargers in the NFL. All right, so if you've been following this podcast from the very beginning, you know that one of my main goals is to cover all of the legal developments um, with regards to the legalization of sports betting state by state as that continues to unfold. And with the turn of the calendar, you're going to see a lot of state legislatures and even Congress in D.C. take a hard look at sports betting. So I'm going to set the stage for you here for the start of 2019 with your legal update. So in terms of sports betting legalization, you know the story by now. PASPA was overturned by the Supreme Court on May 14th of last year, and that allowed states to decide whether or not they wanted to legalize sports betting. The PASPA ruling was mainly a federalism concern, where the Supreme Court was just looking at Um, a federalism issue, a.k.a. whether or not there was a federal overreach by preventing states from making the decision on their own whether or not to legalize sports betting. And so that ruling came down in mid-May, May May 14th, and 
that basically allowed New Jersey to immediately almost implement theirs. Um, I think Delaware beat them to the fray technically as the second state, but you saw New Jersey embrace it. I think June 14th, one month later to the day, was the first day that New Jersey offered it. And also we saw several states um, already do just that as well and enter in 2018. And in 2019, there are at least a dozen states that are candidates to pass legislation and usher in legal sports betting this calendar year. So Congress is back in session today, and state legislatures around the country will soon follow. Um, Legal sports betting is going to be a prime topic, both nationally and in many states this year. So I'm going to continue to focus in on this and um, on the latest developments in particular states, especially in Illinois, where I reside. So here's where things stand at the start of 2019. We have a full-on legal regulated sports betting industry in seven states. Nevada, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Mississippi, West Virginia, Delaware, and Rhode Island. And then we have one state, New Mexico, where a tribal group is now offering sports betting under an existing Class Three legal gaming compact. That's in New Mexico. And then in Arkansas, voters voted to legalize sports betting on the ballot last November, but they're still ironing out details and putting the pieces in place. Word on the street is the Arkansas governor is not a fan of it, but um, it's passed there, so they're just finalizing everything in Arkansas. And then same for Washington, D.C. That's pending as well. And then we have two states, New York and Connecticut on the East Coast, that have partial laws in place that are pending further action. In other words, the regulators in those states need to draft more rules and likely they'll need to see some enabling legislation in order to move forward. Uh, Michigan also appears to be close as well. Um, Lawmakers pushed an online gaming bill through the state house late in the year last year, but they were vetoed by Governor Rick Schneider. However, work is being done earlier this year in 2019 in the or a lot of work is going to get done, at least in the 2019 legislative session. At least that's what's expected in Michigan to get this one pushed through. So, And then on top of that, um, we, have the, we had the bipartisan sports betting bill that was introduced at the end of last year. And that was introduced to Congress in D.C. And so that would cover some sort of federal framework that may or will likely... Um, require states to follow um, that federal framework as they um, usher in or decide whether or not they want to legalize sports betting moving forward. So if you remember your constitutional law classes from when you were a kid or if you're an amateur lawyer right now, or even a real one, um, you know that obviously federal law trumps state law. And when state law conflicts with federal law, obviously the federal law trumps it. So this federal framework that the Congress is looking at and this bipartisan sports betting bill that was introduced at the end of last year, um, that would trump state law. So it's obviously uh, meaningful for states to pay attention to developments on this. So any state legislature that passes something moving forward, um, this federal framework can end up affecting that later on. Um, There's a lot of uncertainty involved in that. And if you know me from having heard this podcast uh, the past four months, Uh, You know that I am a big fan of states' rights, the states' choosing. Um, I'm generalizing here, but usually when the federal government gets involved with something, problems tend to happen. And in this instance, with a a proposed federal bill, I'm worried that 
the federal hand in the cookie jar is going to end up screwing things up. So there's the first angle of the federal government, a lot of the representatives not knowing jack shit about what they're talking about. Um, For starters, they mix up the definition, the very simple definition of handle versus hold. Obviously, the handle being the all the money that the sports book will handle on a given game on both sides, the hold being the money that they actually hold on to after paying out their bets. And when you read some of the um, discussions that have been, some of the transcripts from the discussions being had and some of the dialogue um, with committees and everything, you see these old relic representatives in the Senate and the House of Representatives really don't know what they're talking about here, which actually scares me for other uh, more important things uh, that are on their agenda, like our national security. But uh, I digress there. But here they're showing an obvious a lot. And I'm generalizing here, too. Like a lot of them obviously know quite a bit. But I'm getting the sense that a lot of representatives are extremely undereducated when it comes to this and, and basic things, too. And a lot of this is grounded in Stone Age kind of like relic um, Puritan thinking. You know, gambling's bad. You're going to do bad things. You're going to ruin your life and ruin other people's lives if you gamble. It's stuck in that. And this is the same country that uh, has an opioid crisis and obviously can go drink. And a lot of states are legalizing um, medical marijuana. And uh, and there's a lot of um, similarities between those two, by the way, without getting off script here. But um, so for me, I'm not a fan of this, the idea of the federal framework, simply because I think they're going to mess this up from the standpoint of trying to take too much, trying to get too greedy, creating a, a taxing structure where they're obviously the federal uh, people involved federally want that revenue, want money from tax revenue from sports betting. Obviously, it's a huge, they see the opportunity and I don't blame them, but I'm worried about a situation where the tax is so prohibitive on betters that sports book operators are going to be forced to not offer minus 110 lines. And if you do, if you enable a situation like that, if that's the reality, then the illegal black market is going to continue to thrive and may even grow. And you're going to see those offshore sports betting websites continue to grow as well. So I'm worried about that. If they're really trying to curb the black market, then creating a situation where the tax structure is too prohibitive on sportsbook operators, where they're going to have to offer worse lines for betters who are in turn. I mean, I ain't laying anything more than minus 110 in my games. No way. No chance. So if, the, if that's going to be the reality, then the black market's going to thrive. So I'm worried about that. And more grand scheme here, um, the two, it's a bipartisan federal bill. And it's, there's two senators that sponsored it, one of them being Chuck Schumer from the East Coast in New York, and the other being Orrin Hatch, the lame duck senator from Utah, who's now out, out the window. Mitt Romney's taken his spot. But interestingly, Senator Orrin Hatch, um, we, he comes from a state where sports betting, or sorry, just gambling is illegal in the state constitution. That's the only state constitution where it's expressly prohibited. But moreover, he was one of the key authors of PASPA. Back in the early 90s, Orrin Hatch, um, Utah Republican, he wrote the prof- or helped write the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. So obviously he's taken this personally, and he wanted to get this proposed bill out before he left office um, at the end of last year, and he did so. So kudos to him there. But I just find it ironic that a guy from a state where sports betting is prohibited is trying to basically 
strong arm other states into how they're going to be able to offer things and create some sort of federal framework that requires other states to accept that federal framework in order to opt in and offer legal sports betting. So I find that ironic, and this is coming from a guy who's shown that he's just a little off in terms of um, the reality today, in my opinion. So without getting into that even more, I'm going to really quickly jump through this proposed bill, some different aspects of it. So the main idea behind the proposed federal bill is the federal commerce clause and the notion that a better who, for example, is betting on the Golden State Warriors, but doing so at a casino in New Jersey is engaging in interstate commerce. So basically the reading of the new federal bill expands this interstate commerce idea because it affects multiple states going on. So there's that distinction um, between interstate commerce and not interstate commerce. And in this scenario, they're trying to um, basically expand the Wire Act in order to um, make that fit the agenda, so so to speak. So the finding in the bill reads that all forms of gaming have historically been regulated predominantly at the state level, but sports wagering, which often involves individuals across numerous states placing wagers on a sporting event that takes place in yet another state, affects interstate commerce more than other forms of gaming that are generally contained within the walls of a gaming establishment. Now, Supreme Court justices have already shown, namely Judge uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, he's alluded to this not impacting interstate commerce and it being an isolated betting market, but I could see the argument in today's day and age with mobile wagering, um, at least them getting behind, that's the idea behind them having power um, under the Commerce Clause, but they're expanding on the Wire Act here, and I feel like it's kind of dangerous doing so, but there's something that's even more dangerous in this proposed bill, and I've been touching on this, and many people in the industry are really worried about this, but it involves the use of official league data, and right now there's a, there's a provision in there that basically says for two years... Um, for at least two years, um, that official league, official data is going to have to be used. I think that's opening up the Pandora's box that we don't want to be in, um, where leagues can control the data and um, charge fees. Because obviously the leagues want their hand in the cookie jar as well, and they want integrity fees. They're you know now they're calling it other names that doesn't sound as uh, as much like they're trying to steal our money, highway robbery, but they're trying to implement these fees involved as well, because obviously the leagues want a piece of the pie too, but I think this part is, ve- I'm very worried about the the data issue, and I'm going to delve more into this in the future too, but basically the proposed bill has that in play, and obviously the leagues are a fan of that. And the other thing that's very interesting in this proposed bill is the effort to target offshore betting websites and illegal markets. Uh, basically, there's they're trying to create a situation with the Wire Act where um, they can go after the. There's a section in this clause or in the in the bill uh, with a provision for enhancing enforcement against unlicensed offshore sports wagering websites. So this one has a long way to go before we have to worry about a cease and desist letter going to Bavada offshore from the U.S. Attorney General. But at the same time, if this were to be accepted down the road and become the law, it could create. Um, an opportunity for for that to happen 
And obviously, people are going to be paying attention to these developments uh, big time because there's big money involved. But the I found it very interesting that there's that provision, that express provision in the proposed bill that um, provides means to go after these these offshore websites, and that's going to affect millions of people. So um, it's there's a lot coming at us with this 101 page draft bill. And I'm going to keep you updated on it as it continues to develop because right now Congress just went to session today and we're going to see how much they even want to look into this stuff moving forward early on in the session. Obviously, we have a potential government shutdown hanging over our heads as well. So there's there's a lot at play and obviously a lot for Congress to get to. So uh, who knows when they will turn their attention to it. I think it's it, there's at least two more readings required of, of the bill required on the floor before it could even go to the committee. So I think it's very early on in the stage, but the chance for federal framework is higher now than it was, you know, a month ago because there's actually something there and it's something definitely to pay attention to. But nonetheless, it's just a sign that these are exciting times in that whole realm um, and the feds are going to try to get involved. I don't think that comes as a surprise at all. I'm just worried about um, the different actions they can take that if they're not... Um, if they're too short-sighted in their approach and they're they're not properly understanding the the big picture and what could be the potential down the road, I think we could be in big trouble here. And my main point throughout all this has been go to Nevada. Look at what Nevada's been doing as a state for all these decades. They've been getting it right. They have the, prote- the proper protections in place. They have gaming integrity in place. They have a very good infrastructure and they're able to see when there's irregular betting patterns already happening. So I understand with expansion and mobile betting um, over across multiple states how there could be potential problems with interstate commerce and that, that whole argument. But at the same time, if we keep this state by state and allow states to decide, um, when you look at the Nevada model, they've made it work for all this time, so we should all look there. Why not? I mean, isn't that common sense? If you want to do something, look at someone that's done it successfully already and then maybe try and emulate some things that they've been doing. I don't know. just sounds smart to me, but I'll get off my soapbox now on that, and I will have many more updates to come, but let's get to the actual nitty-gritty now. Let's move on to a preview of the Couch Football Playoff National Championship game and a look at the upcoming NFL Wild Card Weekend card. Yeah, baby! <laughs> So here we are sitting with the total surprise of the century in terms of the two teams that are facing each other in the college football playoff national championship game. We have the surprise shocker, Alabama, Crimson Tide, and no one saw him coming anywhere from out of nowhere. Clemson Tigers facing each other, number one versus number two. Let's fucking be real. This is this entire season. All the other teams were just playing for whatever bowl game game they're going to get because everyone knew deep down that it would be Alabama and Clemson to the point that Clemson actually changed quarterbacks in the middle of the season in order to go with a guy that they thought would match up better with Alabama once this time would come. Um, we're sitting with Alabama Futures, though. I, um, a few weeks into the season on the podcast, I mentioned it that Alabama was still being offered a plus money. I locked them down at plus 125 about four or five weeks in when it became apparent that they were that uh, it was the same Alabama team from years past but this time with a very good quarterback a Heisman candidate and a guy many people think should have won the Heisman in Tua 
Um, but if you were prudent and took that plus money with Alabama back then, you're sitting pretty right now. I even locked down some uh, plus 500 on Clemson early in the season as well, kind of foreseeing the situation. So sitting in a good spot there. Um, I also locked in, I mentioned on a recent podcast, locking in a little bit of Alabama um, at around minus 200 um, before the playoff even started to win the whole thing, just thinking there's a little bit of value. Obviously, you had to get past Oklahoma, but right now, you're seeing around the same money line, so I guess that wasn't, looking back at it, the best play. I think if Clemson didn't look as good against Notre Dame, this line would be a little more inflated, and that was kind of what I was expecting. Obviously, we went with Notre Dame, and they did not um, cash in that semifinal game. At least I had some Notre Dame in pocket. But, um, yeah, so if you're sitting with that, any Alabama future, any Clemson future, you're sitting in a great spot right now. Um, even last week, I found minus 110 Alabama versus Clemson, or sorry, Alabama over Clemson, exact result um, on a certain a certain out. So that's a good angle as well because that was they were offering minus one ten there. I think a lot of other places were making you lay at least minus one fifty. So shopping around is key for situations like that. But in terms of the handicap on the actual game, I think this line is pretty damn near close to correct. I do lean Alabama just based off pure power ratings, but I do think that Clemson brought in Taylor, uh, Trevor Lawrence just for this game, and they're also bringing the revenge angle from last year. So I think this line's about right where it should be, and big games like this, um, same goes for the NFL playoffs. Unfortunately, these lines are just so sharp when there's so much money being bet into them. Markets are um, remarkably efficient, and sports betting markets are no different, even though you have a lot of public money involved. Um this is a very sharp line, so can't give you a winner in this one against the spread, but I think gun to head, I would probably take Alabama, uh, especially if it was under six, if it's minus five and a half, but it's a tough one there. Um, in terms of actual stats, um, Dabo Sweeney is eight and one straight up and against the spread in postseason games, and eight of those nine, he was an underdog, so... I think he is he's really good at getting his team amped up in a situation like this. They know they're underdogs, but at the same time they're running into the freight train that is Alabama, who at one time I had power rated almost ten points over Clemson, who was the second best team in the country on a on a neutral field. I would have had that line at almost ten. So it's tough going up against a, a freight train like that, especially since Alabama has a quarterback and and uh they want to win that title again this year, but for me, if you, for my advice for you, if um, since there's so much money coming into this game and it's pretty predictable to see where the line's going to go, um, if you're looking to bet on Alabama on the spread, um, I think you could probably get, I mean, I would definitely search around, at least shop for a minus five and a half, get a number that's under six. I think the number's probably going to go between five and six all week. If you're looking to grab Clemson, you should grab a low VIG plus six. I see those available. Still, but if you're looking to bet Clemson on the money line, I would highly recommend doing it sooner rather than later. Um, and if you're betting on Alabama money line, I would wait until the moment before kickoff. Um, the reason for that, and I have touched on this in the past, but when you when you get a big game like this and the Super Bowl, and there's very rare games that apply to this, but we're in that time of year where they're starting to apply, where there's so much money being bet on these games because everyone's watching it. But the scenario is a lot of public bettors, and this is this is just generalizing the public in general, 
Joe Public wants to bet a little to win a lot, but they also like betting on the good teams. So with that in mind, Joe Public wants to take the money line on the underdog, which would be Clemson in this scenario, and they're more likely, in theory, to, to, to bet on a better team. Not to say that Joe Public's just going to be on Alabama minus six in this game, but you're not going to see any uh, Joe Public guys laying the money line with Alabama, uh, the bigger, you know, minus 200-plus money line with Alabama. Um, you will see guys taking the other side on that just for the, the plus payout because people want that that nice payout so to that end if you're betting on the money line on Clemson I would do that now before all that public money comes in on the Clemson money line and if you're waiting on Alabama um, I would wait to fire on the money line you usually find about at least 10 to 15 cents of value if not more just based off what the plus six or minus six line would be um, the conversion remember I've, I give, I've given out if you google SBR spread money line converter you can convert to figure out what were the values better between the spread and the money line. Um, based on sport, you just plug in the numbers there. But based off that, there's a lot more value on betting a favorite right before kickoff due to that aforementioned reason of the public money coming in on the underdog money line. So I might do it, although I already have you know enough Alabama um, invested. I think, um, I think if you can get under minus... 200 minus 190 on this one on the money line and the spread's still six that's really good value for that number so nothing wrong with taking that as well what i'm looking to do in the game is i'm going to take a look at the first half under um, especially over the full game uh, the public does tend to bet on the over to drive up at least a point or two of value on the under in games like this before kickoff. So if you're going to bet the over in this game, I would definitely do it soon instead of before kickoff. You're not going to find any value on the over right before kickoff. Um, you're going to find a couple points of value value on the under, if anything. But the angle I'm looking at is the first half under in this one instead of the full game. I actually do lean over in the first game if I had to bet either side. But I like the first half under in this one because usually, in, and this is a recent trend too, I don't have any numbers just off the back, off the top of my head that I can uh, spot here. But I think um, there's a recent trend of teams kind of coming out more tight in the first half, kind of feeling each other out, especially in this scenario where Clemson, you know, they really want to stick it to Alabama, stay in the game. Obviously, maybe teams will be a little bit more. Teams will be a little more close to the chest early on in the game. So, first half under, I think, is a good angle, and then look to bet on the over at halftime as the defenses um, get more tired um, in the second half. I think there's definitely a trend there, especially with the way the game's played now. Just so much more passing, and um, it's a lot more tiring on the defenses, and the games are longer too with all the TV timeouts. So. Defenses get more tired second half. That's the time to attack the over, but I would definitely take a look at the first half under. I've seen a couple 31s with low juice out there, so might even be able to see that number climb up a little bit, but I think anything 31 and under is worthy of a bet for the first half in uh, the national title game. All right, now let's take a look ahead at the games in the NFL wildcard round. So historically on wildcard weekend, the spread only ends up mattering about 10 to 11% of the time, which is pretty wild. <laughs> so you basically just need to figure out for these games, who do you think is going to win the game? And the lines this week reflect that rather clearly as we have pretty much all short home favorites here with the exception of the Bears who are laying five and a half, six points at home to the defending Super Bowl champions. Um, so as I've already mentioned, it's really hard to find value at this time of year when, 
Um, so much money is being bet on these games. The market's efficient, so there's really no value on the point spread. It's rare to find a good playoff bet on the point spread. So in this scenario, unfortunately, that applies. But we do have teasers. This is prime teaser spots because, as you know, the idea for the edge is to tease through the key numbers of 3 and 7. When you have teams that are getting 2 points, 1, 2 points, um, just less than 3 points, less than a field goal, uh, when you tease them 6 points, you tease them through those key numbers. And when you tease two of them together, it's a positive expectation bet, in my opinion. So... Um, in this scenario this week, I have found that, at least initially, uh, the Colts and the Chargers pairing them together, both up to plus 8.5 on a 6-point teaser. Um, also, the Seahawks as well, they apply to this, so I have a little combination of those teams, but I especially like the Colts and the Chargers. But the Chargers now are coming, I'm starting to see some plus 3s show with normal juice, so might be taking a look at the Chargers at that number, especially the money line. I actually did stick some... Uh, plus 135 money line in pocket earlier today but on the, on the Chargers. But I think that one's pretty close. But if you're getting a full three points with normal VIG on the Chargers, I think is, is probably the way I'd look this week in terms of a bet. But otherwise, teasers are really the only way to go in this one. And one total I do like, though, and I'm kicking myself for not betting it when it, it opened at uh, around 42, um, even – See maybe even 41 and a half, but there's 42. They're snatched up quick. The over in the Seattle at Dallas game, the Cowboys and the Seahawks, that's now at 43. That's where I got it. It actually ticked up to about 44, but then saw some buyback. But I do like the over in that one. Um, and I also think a really good angle in this one is to get after Ezekiel Elliott. His over pass receptions and reception yards prop the Seahawks give up a lot of receptions to running backs, and Ezekiel Elliott has been doing that a lot more lately. And I think in this game we might see a situation where um, he can really get involved in the passing game a lot more. I know that he will be involved in this game, obviously, massively, but I think there might be a little bit of value here on, on Ezekiel Elliott's um, reception props at certain numbers. But I do like the over in this one. I think there is a little bit of value. I have it in the higher 40s. So if you can get it at... 43 on the over like it obviously less at 44 but still a lean to it at, at that price once it starts getting up into forgot back up to 45 that's where the value starts to dissipate but i think we can see some value in the over in that one um in terms of the hometown bears initially i really had this one lay or pegged as a lay three take seven spot where I'd, you know, I'd, if the line was minus three bears i'd bet them if it was plus seven on the eagles i'd take them that's what i had to grade it out at but Ah, the Bears, 7-1 and one straight up and against the spread at home this year. My numbers and my heart now, after I'm looking into this more, my numbers too, they're actually pulling me to take the Bears here, but there's a few reasons why I will not bet the Bears at the current minus 6 line. And there's this is brilliant information from Warren Sharp that I've already mentioned. Um, it's a great follow. The Bears' defense has faced the most 11 personnel, and that's three wide receivers, one running back, and one tight end, of any team in the league and they've played against the least amount of 12 personnel. That's one running back, two tight ends, and two wide receivers. They've played the least amount of 12 personnel in the entire league of any defense. And what do the Eagles use a lot of offensively? 12 personnel. So with that matchup factor, and if the Eagles throw some things at the Bears, it does give me pause. 
I do think Nagy will figure this one out, though, and if the Bears are up late and they're not relying on Trubisky in the fourth quarter, then I really like the chance for the Bears to win this one and for the Chicago fans to invade Los Angeles next weekend. That would be a really interesting line in the Bears-Rams rematch, but um, I really do think that the Bears are going to win this one. The question is, are they going to cover the spread? And I'm not going to put my money on that at the current price. If it gets down to four, that's where I start to get little chimes to to bet on the Bears, and I would bet on them at, at minus three for sure. Probably would at minus four, um, just for not as much, but actually I pretty much know I would. But um, not going to touch this at the current line, and then I start to get chimes to the Eagles once it gets up to plus seven, but I think this one's probably going to settle out where it's at. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. But the thing that people aren't talking about is that Foles didn't have to play a road playoff game last year during that run. And this one's on the road. That home field advantage is going to be crazy for the Bears. Uh, it's going to be a raucous crowd on Sunday in Chicago. So I think the Bears are going to get that done. But I'm not going to wager on them on the spread at the current number. But I do think the Bears win this game and hope they do. It would be great to get to another um, another playoff game, get a rematch between the Bears and the Rams. But really looking forward to these games this weekend. Um, love the NFL playoffs. I think they're very competitive. And this year, and my power ratings support this, this year is the most wide open I've seen in years in terms of who is going to take home the Super Bowl this year. Obviously, the Saints are your favorite power ratings-wise. Saints and Chiefs is my expectation right now. But I think we're going to see some drama. I think we're going to see some stuff. So uh, buckle up and hold on tight. It's going to be a fun ride. And in terms of the Doggy Juice Pod, this is going to wrap up the first episode of the new year, episode 27. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate all the support along the way and really looking forward to where this thing's going to go in 2019. These are very exciting times. So thank you so very much for listening to this podcast we're really gonna transition into college basketball now moving forward college football obviously coming to a close this weekend and then obviously with the nfl playoffs starting up the twilight of the nfl season is upon us so we're gonna really focus in on college hoops moving forward really looking forward to that i'll be back next week with the next episode in the meantime enjoy your weekend enjoy the game on monday and Good luck with your bets, take care, and Happy New Year. Doggy Juice out.